Non-stop shock radio. The station that shocks you. Renegade Talk Radio. Giovanni Show, live from Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio. I am the national crime reporter for Examiner.com, political reporter for Examiner.com. I'm a columnist for the Anti-Media. Congratulations to them for recently reaching one million likes on Facebook. I'm also the editor of WTF Magazine, Ruthless-Politics.com, and the political discussion community. We survive Bush, you will survive Obama. Today, I'm absolutely elated and honored that Mr. Phil Collin, is going to be joining us to discuss some of his new projects. We're gonna talk about some social issues. Um, it's an absolute honor to have this gentleman on the program. Um, so, uh, Phil, thank you very much for being here, sir. Um, you know, welcome. Thank you, absolute pleasure, yes. So, sir, uh, I guess initially, what I'd like to ask you is, can you can you talk a little bit about what's the uh, the political motivation behind your new project, Delta Deep. Yeah, I'm, I'm Delta Deep. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a blues-based um, rock album. I mean, it actually started off by me and um, Debbie Blackwell Cook, who's my wife, Helen's godmother, who's um, been singing in the church since she was uh, two years old. She'd sung, you know, with Luther Bantros, Toby Michael Bublé, and actually sung for the Pope, uh, John Paul, that, you know, years ago. And uh, we... we yeah, she sang it our way, and then because we knew it, we'd just be goofing off playing acoustic guitar and, and doing Motown songs, and um, it, it turned into something else, you know. And people were going, "Oh my God, where can we buy this?" So we said, "Well, it's just, just us having fun." So we actually started writing songs, and then um, it took a turn. It ended up sounding. I mean, the best description I heard was uh, if Aretha Franklin sung over Led Zeppelin too. That, that's kind of how it ended up sounding. Me on guitar vocals, Debbie on, on, on lead vocals, and uh, Robert DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots on bass, who's an absolute disciple of James Jameson and all the Motown stuff and, and funk. And um, Forrest Robinson, who's um, also raised in the church, he was a, a session drummer, you know, played with the TLC, India RE, that's where I met him, you know, just very diverse. And, and, and the Crusaders, Joe Sample and the Crusaders. Um, which is no mean feat, you know, that's a really, you know, high on a jazz gig. So, uh, but he really just wanted to rock out. So when we got together, it, 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 this kind of um, the, the meld of styles and everything, you know, even the, even the subject matter, you know, some of the songs that we, we sing about, um, just ended up going about somewhere else. You know, there was, uh, you know, Bang the Lid is, is, is about, you know, killing a slave owner, you know, with, with, with sex. And, and, you know, Down in the Dell is about, being taken from your home 
country, you know, enslaved and with no way to get out of it. So it's, uh, it's, it's more what the blues was really about in the first place. You know, I, I've seen it um, get so diluted, you know, over the years as a style-wise. I think, you know, going back to the real disciples of it, you know, the, the Stones and, and, you know, Clapton, and Hendrix and all those, you know, that was, that was the English kind of take on it. But uh, originally, blues came from suffering and struggle and uh, I didn't really hear that anymore. And when we started writing these songs, it, um, it seemed that taboo subjects um, were okay. You know, it wasn't just a black person fighting. It certainly wasn't just a white person fighting. But between us, it, it all seemed very natural. And it just it seemed kind of in, in, the, in the style and in the themes of, of all this stuff that came out in the first place. And uh, just, just to add to that, you know, um, Debbie lost her son to gun violence. He was um, shot down on his way to work. He was a sound engineer at Morgan State University in, in Baltimore. And, uh, Jeff Lever, we, we were doing Vegas, and uh, Debbie was out visiting, and we got the news that Easter Sunday morning. Someone had just shot him, and but, you know they'd attacked him in the morning on his way to work, and and they killed him. And, um, and my wife, Helen, uh, took two of her three brothers that did up a. Uh, being murdered as well, you know, gun violence. So it's stuff that doesn't normally happen, you know. It's, um, they're, they're really, uh, uh, it does happen to white people as well, but it, it has more it predominantly in the uh, African-American, you know, kind of areas and, and culture and that. So, um, again, you know, it was an outpouring. It was just great for them to get out of the chest and it was great for me to, to, to be part of that, you know, and, and actually understand what, what that was all about. Well, you know, Phil, uh, once we found out that uh, our, our friend Matt Bacon set up this interview with you, sir, we've been uh, listening to Delta D pretty much exclusively all around the studio. You know, it's just... Really? Uh, yeah, yes, sir. You know, it's beautiful. Uh, uh, I have to say my favorite song right now is Whiskey. Uh, it's just a beautiful song. And uh, Oh, thank you. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome, sir. Um, so you, you clearly have some... Uh, very strong opinions on racial issues in this country and um you know it's 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 of little surprise to to see how gun violence and how prejudice and how racism in america is sort of guiding the political conversations that we're having um what are your thoughts sir on uh on race relations in america just you know uh, if any um I, I, I remember, actually, I remember we played South Africa, you know, this was after apartheid. Obviously, you know, things are going to take time. But um, I, I was sitting in a, um, a cafe in, in just outside Johannesburg, and, and I, I saw this, this white guy sitting there just screaming at um, uh, the waiter, this black waiter to come over, and he was calling him Kaffir and all these really derogatory names. And I, I'd actually never heard that before. I'd never heard anyone use it so openly and so disgustingly. And uh, the, the problem is, you know, and it's not just uh, down to the one country, you know, you have it in anywhere. Prejudice is, uh, it's usually inherited. It's usually, it's, a, it's a, a taught thing. You know, I actually, I remember when I was a kid, you know, um, I, I come from uh, the East End of London. It was very, very racially diverse. You know, we had, uh, they, they, you know, had all the uh, people come over from the West Indies, Pakistani, India, um, and stuff like that. Anyone who was, you know, a British colony. So you had a lot of Jamaicans and stuff because they couldn't get people to work on the rail, you know, and, and it was jobs that, that 
white Brits wouldn't do. So um, they invited all these people from the you know former colonies or, or current colonies, and uh, then all of a sudden there's, there was this influx. So uh, part of like my, my cousin, three of my cousins actually married uh, West Indian guys and they had kids. So my, my introduction to you know mixed race kids was was very early on. And, um, you know, I, I, my, I have three daughters, and they're all of mixed race as well. Um, and, I, you know, I, I see people as people, but I, all, all of a sudden, you know, with all this stuff happening in England, then the prejudice arises, like, you know, the people, they don't like the idea that someone's different. And a lot of it's, um, like I say, a lot of it's uh, fear of, of not finding out what these, these are about. And, and also, you know, just that's where the prejudice starts. And it's usually learned, you know, there's things that happen yeah, but it's and then it's passed on. You know, you you, you have this thing and it kind of starts flourishing. And it's in any country, obviously. Uh, America is, is a different setup in in the first place. You know, because you know initially a bunch of Europeans came over to to America and, and ethnically cleansed, successfully ethnically cleansed a um, a whole culture of people. You know, Native Americans were, were kind of wiped out, like pretty much completely. That was like. You know, mission accomplished, and it was uh, and it was it was white Europeans, you know, my ancestors, uh, and then they came over. They they developed this thing, and so that's where the country started. So you're you're gonna see something like that. So obviously, the, the next thing in in uh, line was the, the slave trade, and I, I know they had slavery all over Europe, but you know, it it was especially uh, common in in the United States because that's how the, the country was kind of built and raised, you know, and the fact, you know, that even the, the Industrial Revolution, you know, wouldn't wouldn't really have happened if, um, if you didn't have slavery, which is uh, it's completely fucked up, really. It's like, <laughs> you know, but that's that's what happened, you know, and so, you know, we, we always go, oh, yeah, yeah, the Industrial Revolution, they're fantastic, but we, we never say, yeah, but it's because of slavery, it's because of cheap labor, you know, and it goes on, you know, we still have that this day and age, all, all over the world, so it's, um, I don't think you can pinpoint it to, to just one country because that's that that's how human beings are. They they learn, they get greedy, and then they uh, they they that's how they they become. You know, it's, it's human nature, and it's a bit weird. It's, um, you know, we were saying, you know, it's uh, it's, it's a shame. We were, yesterday we were in uh, South Dakota. We went went to Mount Rushmore, me and my wife, but we also went to the Crazy Horse Memorial, which was um, it's not state or government funded or anything. It's uh, you know, State of American is a is a, a mountain being carved out of, of granite and stuff, kind of like the, the Mount Rushmore thing. So all of a sudden, you you know, it started in 1948, and it, it pretty much ground to a halt, and, and no one really cares. Otherwise, they'd have actually put some funds in there. So you, you see it everywhere. You know, no one really cares that much. They say, like, the professor, but they say that's not the case. And you just see that in every shape or form, everywhere you go. Well, you know, Phil, I mean, clearly to me, bigotry in America and bigotry in general is a, is a, is a learned thing. You're never going to find a child who, who is born and learns to communicate and is going to somehow have prejudice. Parents teach them these things, and it's disgusting, and it's something that has to stop, obviously, a situation that we're dealing with now in America. And it's funny that you mentioned South Dakota. Um, you know, the, the Ku Klux Klan has had quite a resurgence in America lately. And they have a large, large uh, output of those individuals in South Dakota. So, you know, perhaps it's a little ironic 
that you're there and we're discussing these very issues and it's something that they wouldn't want anybody to know about they would not want the uh their their uh horrible prejudice to be exposed um so you know thank you very much for that thought phil and you know i i can't agree with you more uh, and while we were while we were having our, our brief pre-show meeting we were discussing how the american people are woefully misinformed and in, in my view they're they are uh, intentionally misinformed so that they can't have this type of a conversation because if they did the american public would stop being divided and they would see that these types of issues are used to distract them and that uh exactly and when the people are united in a situation like this you know the more information that's available the better um i think my producer's looking at me we're gonna take a we're gonna take a quick break right now uh my name is luke caldroni i'm talking with you know the icon the legend phil collin this is renegade talk radio we'll be right back I'm Luke Algevani. I'm having a wonderful discussion with Mr. Phil Collin. Um, Phil, I wanted to ask you, since gun violence has touched so many different aspects of your life and those around you and whom you love, you know, how do you feel about the gun issues in America right now, sir? Um, well, I, I obviously, like most people, including most gun owners, I think there should, there should be some form of regulation. I mean, just as a start, like, um, you know, we, we, we just saw this, this thing time and time again, you know, people in um, 
cinemas, you know, going, going for, you know, it used to be called going postal when postal workers did this, but uh, it seems to happen. A lot of these people are kind of um, are mentally challenged and it, that's not regulated. So just straight off the bat, something like that, you know, if you, if you drove a car and you, you were unstable, you'd, you'd be kind of, uh, you'd be regulated. You know, and I think that, that that would be an easy start. And like I said, you know, anyone you speak to, even, I don't know, they, they'd say, of course, they, they think there should be. And I, that's, that's why I think the problem lies. I think something like that that, that we all agree on should, should be kind of addressed first instead of, like, going kind of so hardcore and trying to ban stuff straight away. And, you know, it's like, then you have all these other problems coming out and go, so you're taking away my second and rights and all of this stuff. No, actually, just just actually address address the issues that everyone agrees on first off, and I, I think that 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 would be a key to it. You know, you know exactly. You know, I am I have been advocating for different levels of gun control for many years, sir. You know, uh, to me, it's very obvious that. We need to have some type of, and, and the problem, sir, is that there's a lack of conversation about gun control in America due to the influence of the National Rifle, Associ- National Rifle Association scaring politicians into not being able to pass legislation. Um, with, with something like that, you know, to me it's despicable. There are thousands and thousands of Americans dying every year. Um, but since we're talking about gun control, there was a, there was a uh, a decision made yesterday about uh, James Holmes, the uh, the the uh, horrific Aurora uh, theater shooter, and they decided to give uh, Mr. Holmes uh, life in prison when he was uh, possibly facing the death penalty. Um, what are your thoughts on that, sir? Do you do you, do you, uh, do you have an opinion on Mr. Holmes or the the ruling that came down on, on the death penalty part? You mean yes. Um, I, I kind of think in, in a civilized society that if there's a chance that, that one person in ten is wrongly accused and they get the death penalty, then that's probably wrong. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I just find it weird, you know, executing anyone or, or just going, I don't, I don't think it's, um, you know, I mean, would you chop their hands off and, you know, do what they do in Saudi Arabia and stuff like that? Yeah, that's, that's really the next step, you know, public executions in which people are, it's, it's not, it's not very civilized. So I, I just think, uh, again, you know, if you're, if you're talking civilized society, there's, uh, there's ways to do it. And I think um, this execution, like I said, you know, is it, just weird, just barbaric. And, and the fact that if you make a mistake and someone's lost their life, it's, uh, that's pretty weird. That's just me, you know. I know a lot of people disagree with that. They think that, uh, like, hey, you should try and stuff like that. But it's, uh, if there's a chance that someone... Um, and it cost a lot of money to execute someone. I, this was years ago. I, I heard it, it was like a, about. I, I, this was just a quote somewhere. It said it, it cost ten million dollars to, to get someone you know, with all the red tape and all the legal things to actually get someone uh, convicted and executed. So uh, I, I don't know. And, and as, as we know, the, every, everything is flawed. You know, it's, um, money's involved in everything. You know, it's. Uh, so there's business things going on here that, that we, we're not even privy to that are, that are, that are reasons why the things go on, you know, like the, the prison system, you know, and slavery that we have in this day and age in the, in the prison system. But we, again, we don't we don't address it. We, we just would rather kind of argue about Donald Trump saying something outrageous. And yeah, it's, it's outrageous, but, you know, it, it takes that ball off the, uh, the real issues that are, that are pretty kind of... Um, huge really that we just totally ignore it's amazing 
Phil, you touched on you touched on a whole bunch of pertinent issues to me. You know, especially when we're talking about the death penalty. I don't think most people realize that it's actually cheaper to keep somebody alive in prison the entirety of their lives rather than it is to execute them. Mostly for the right. point. And it's it's very strange that people don't grasp this point, and it's because the public is misinformed. And the simple reason is death penalty lawyers are so expensive that by the time that an individual's appeals have been exhausted, you know, their their food and the and their being housed in prison could have been paid for ten times over. It's very very strange, um, you know. So when we're talking about a situation like that, you know, Mister. Yeah, no, it's, 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 I don't I don't get it, but I I I guess it it makes sense when you when you put business interest into place and, and you know and, and control you know on a on a larger scale then then it makes sense that the people doing that you know and, it, and it's such an easy fix you, know, you can tell the public anything and they, they just they just uh, they just go along with it you know the, the reality TV uh, culture that we've got now is, is proof of that you know you can pretty much do anything and uh, and and it's just a, a, an amazing form of propaganda and uh, yeah just people don't they don't really care not, not enough you know they, they kind of Happy with their, with their existence, so they don't they don't want to kind of upset that, that apple cart either. So you you got a few little issues there going on by the side of it as well, you know. You know exactly. We have we have racial inequality. We have the privatized prison system in America, which is which is to me just a catastrophe. It's been perpetuated upon the American people, where individuals are locked up for uh, drug use. Right. They're locked up for nonviolent offenses and. It's very strange when we talk about private prisons, just to segue a little bit there, that uh, how is it possible, you know, I want, I want to hear your opinion on this, how is it possible that we're doing society a favor by not only locking people up for nonviolent offenses, but while at the same time generating money for shareholders? Uh, to me, that's just, it, it doesn't logically balance itself that shareholders are making money off of prisoners sitting in a cell uh, I, I, I don't understand the privatized systems. I don't understand the logic or anybody who advocates for well, these I, I things. Well, I don't. And I'd just like to say, you know, I, I live in America. I pay American tax. I'm, I, I love where I live and everything. I find it very un-American that someone would privatize something so much, keep the money, not pay any tax, not put anything back into the country of America. I think it's really the height of being a non-patriot be quite honest I go I, I just wrote something recently um, there was about um, Uber which is wonderful for people who want to travel and you know but it but because of that it, it put in a, a regulated tax paying uh, you know company and, and you know like regular regular cat you know and there's something in England there's just some upsetting stuff in Mexico uh, they pay tax they pay rural tax Uber it gets siphoned off and, and goes to offshore and it's allowed. It's a you know a private company. And again, I, I find that very un-American. You know, I, I, I want the, the country I live in to thrive. On on to, I pay so much tax, and and I'm I'm okay with that. You know, it's uh, I, I wish it was less, and and that, yeah, that would be great. But I, I do find it weird when someone gets away completely scot free. Um, and I, I just like I said, I, I think it's very very un-American, and and there's some weird semantics. With this whole thing, you know, actually, I'm I'm quite conservative, but conservative means something completely different in this day and age. And in, in America, it's like 
there, there's some weird stuff going on with, with, with wordplay and semantics. And, and like I said, you know, like like this Uber thing, you know, it should be regulated. They should be paying taxes. Should go back into the country, you know, so it could drive, not be some private thing, you know, like like the, the prison thing, and it just goes off, disappears, and, and no one in America benefits at all for it except some private person or company. Phil, you're absolutely correct, sir. You know, all of these things, as you mentioned while we were having our pre-show discussion, all of these things are interconnected. In my view, you know, we have a mental health problem in America, which is linked to our gun control problem. And the fact that we have a mental health problem is due to there aren't enough taxes to pay for people to go see a doctor. In America, you know, people should have a right to get care. Um, do you have an opinion, sir, on uh, universal health care? Well, yeah, you know, I come from England, so um, uh, it was, you know, it was always, there was doctors, they'd, they'd make house calls, and so I was, that was something I was quite used to, you know, I come to the States, and I, I found it a little strange, and again, especially when you say, look, these other private companies and stuff like that just, just kind of get away with taking money out of America, so um, I think, you know, if they were forced or, you know, it's almost like the outsourcing thing, you know, you get these huge American companies and you know if you're outsourced then you should there should be a penalty you should come back and all of these things uh, would, would make sense than if you had, had had some kind of universal health care and like I said you know my, my dad uh, passed away a few years ago actually 10 years ago sorry 11 years ago last month um, and uh, he state of the British national health uh, system they, they were great you know they sent a nurse round they brought a bed in for him and, and you didn't have to pay for anything because it paid years and years of tax that, um, that allowed him those kind of benefits, you know, and uh, that was yeah, that was just a normal thing. So it's, um, yeah, I think that, of course there should be some, some version of that. And it, it, like, I keep going back to this in a civilized society. It shouldn't be allowed to, to run away and, and kind of, you know, these, these cronies and kind of you know, private companies just get away with murder, and and, then, and and on top of that, you know, you have the whole uh, drugs and pharmacy, and 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 the whole, you know, prescription drug junkies and stuff like that, which in turn, you know, gets the whole ball rolling with the, with a lot of people with mental issues. You know, it's kind of uh, you know over prescribed and and kind of wrongly prescribed, and and just allowed to do anything. You know, it's kind of open these, you know, with a lot of that stuff, and it, you know, it has a consequence. But then we're not prepared to, to deal with the consequences that we've created in the first place, you know, prescription and all of that stuff, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, it, it, of course, there it, it, it should be some version of, of health care, without a doubt. Why not? That's, like I said, that's, that's what it was like where I came from. It's a brilliant summation, Phil. Thank you very much. This is Lou Calgiovanni at Renegade Talk Radio. We'll be right back.
freedoms being destroyed like free speech? Shut up! Then fucking stay here and be blunt about it. Shut up! Will you shut up? Be right back. All right, we're back. Renegade Talk Radio. This is Lou Calgiovanni talking with music legend and icon, Phil Collin. Phil, um, before we went to the break, sir, you mentioned how your father had passed away almost 11 years ago, you know, and uh, from pancreatic cancer. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, a, it's a horrible thing. You know, I've, I've, I've also dealt with, uh, with cancer issues in my family and with my loved ones, you know, and there's no easy way for a situation like that. But I wanted, right. I wanted, I wanted to bring up, you know, your 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 amazing charity that you did for the Gerson Institute in San Diego a couple of years ago. You know, it was, right. uh, you know, just just an honorable thing. Um, I was just curious if you wanted to talk a, a little bit about Gerson therapy, or you know, your thoughts sure, on your, your thoughts on staying Without- away from pharmaceuticals and using more natural remedies. You know, just anything you want to say about it at all for sure um i I, there's there's so much cancer around these days you know um and and we we don't seem to we don't we we just want to find a cure we won't do anything to stop it you know instead of like eating a little bit healthier that that kind of changes your odds dramatically um and there's lots of other things that that, that go on that, that we could do that we don't um, the, the whole Gerson Institute thing, um, actually how that came about, um, a friend of mine's uh, mother had passed away from same thing, pancreatic cancer, and uh, said, would you donate a guitar if I got it together, one of your PC1 jacks um, for a cancer charity? And I said, yeah, sure, but let who, who are you thinking of? And um, there's so many charities out there that are so, it's such a scam, foundations and charities, so I, you know, I always say to everyone, you know, check into the, the charity of your choice because a, a lot of the time, you know, none of the money goes to where it, it, it ends up being a private thing. Um, there, there was a, a whole thing about the um, Susan G. Komen, uh cancer charity thing, and uh, you know, the poor poor girl died, and they, they had a charity in her name. But then, then we find out the you know the CEO of that charity getting half a million a year. There's like 20 people who are, you know, getting over 100 or 200,000 a year. And it's supposed to be a charity. And these poor suffering victims are actually not getting anything. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, with any charity, you only have to give 10%. You can keep the night. And even off that 10%, you can write stuff off. You can, you know, dinners, flights, and all that stuff. So it's just a fraction of it. So... You have to be really careful with, with charities, and, and especially with what they're doing. You know, it's uh, you know I run for this and walk for that, done done all this stuff for, for charities and that. But you have to find out exactly where they go. Uh, the Gerson Institute. Um, just a, a quick backdrop on, on on Gerson. Max Gerson was um, a doctor in, in Nazi Germany. He uh, and he developed this this. Juicing, too. You know, everyone likes juicing these days. It's really good for you. You get all the nutrients and everything. Um, and it and it helps you, you know, clear out some, some nasty things that are lurking inside your body. Anyway, he had um, success with, like, skin tuberculosis. He had, like, 446, uh, you know, people actually, their, their tuberculosis cleared up out of 450. So that's a, a pretty good... Thing. But also with that, he found that the people that had cancer tumors 
started shrinking in size the, the, the tumours it had this amazing effect anyway you know World War 2 breaks out he has to leave uh, Germany uh, with his with his daughter Charlotte who was 12 at the time I think um, he comes to America he tries to do this this stuff and he ultimately gets poisoned by his secretary because uh, you know he's having such success and like you can't have that with anything you know success without it being kind of regulating someone else making some money out of it so uh he eventually died anyway. His daughter, Charlotte, uh, carried this work on. She's in way into her 90s now. And uh, this is where we, we auctioned off the guitar and that, that was where we wanted the money to go because it's, a, it's a, you know, a real kind of institute and they actually really try and... and, and it's, it's just a, an amazing story anyway. So uh, that's, that was the reason behind that, you know, as, as opposed to some of the other the cancer charities. You know, I, I, just going back into the... Um, I don't know if you remember in the... In the we are the world and you know Frankie says run for for the world and stop you know help the starving people you know and that, that was, they were in Africa I, I had a friend who was an attorney who used to work uh, in Africa a lot of the time this was back in the 80s and he said that all the money or a majority of it that was being gathered by the West and you know let, let's, let's go save the world let's stop the hunger was actually going to the people that actually created the hunger was going to like dictator generals stuff like that so you um you know, I just got back to the thing, you have to be very wary and, and very aware of, of where you're you're giving your charity money. You know, we we kind of have got this thing now that if you don't give to charity, you're you're a bad person. No, but they're, 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 you've got to check out what the charity is because a lot of these people are bad people. Yeah, you, you're touching on so many issues, Phil. the The simple fact is that a lot of these charities. They'll give 2% of their money to the cause, and then the, the rest will go to operational costs, so they have to pay their CEOs, they have to pay for advertising, they have to pay for dinners to keep everybody happy. You know, and most people, they think, hey, you know what, I'm going to give a dollar to this cause, and then they don't worry about it. They don't care where their money goes. They're just, they're hooked on the feeling of giving money because they think they're doing a good thing, but they don't realize that they're being duped, that the whole thing is a hoax. Yeah, I know. So, Absolutely. So, you know, I always say, you know, check, check what the charity is actually about. Just, uh, you know, it could be just someone's private kind of slush funds, you know, and <laughs> you, have to, you have to make sure it's going to the right place. <laughs> well, since we're talking about this specific type of therapy, and you, of course, are quite a famous uh, vegan and quite a, right. an advocate for health, you know, just, you know, just... For people who are not aware or for people who don't understand, you know, would you like to make the case for healthy eating and, and clean living, you know, something like that? Talk about your life and uh, how it's affected you and made your life better. Sure, yeah. The veganism, actually, well, certainly the vegetarianism wasn't anything for, for health for me. It was um, it was the torture and the suffering, the slaughter of, of something just so that it could end up on my plate. I, I found it very kind of egocentric. I thought, you know, this is, why would I have something suffer and die just so I can eat, when I can eat all this other stuff? And, um, you know, and then everyone goes, well, you know, where'd you get your protein from? You know, I've been a vegetarian for 32 years, a vegan for four, and, you know, I, I, I at my height, I was bench pressing 380, and I only weighed at 157, so I was obviously getting a lot of protein. You know? And then I point out that my type is a vegan. And, you know, he certainly gets enough protein. But the the pet, the, the strongest man in the world, um, this Canadian guy, 
broke three world ranks, two or three, don't quote me on it, somewhere along there, uh, since he became vegan. And, and vegan just means it's, you know, it, for those who don't know, it's the, uh, an extreme version of vegetarianism. It's like not eating any products of animals, you know, no milk, dairy, and which is a bummer because, you know, I used to love eating chocolate and ice cream, but, you know, there's, there's the alternatives, there's, there's, <laughs> which you have if you really have to have them. But um, the, the healthy lifestyle, I, I just find that it helps you. You know, I'm, I'm pushing 60. I'll be 58 in December. Right? I honestly feel better than I did when I was in my 20s. And, it, and it's just a little tweak. It's like, don't eat certain poison. There's so much out there that can poison. And just have a little bit of activity. You don't have to go crazy, but you do have to be consistent. And I think that, um, you know, we feel better from doing that. And I, I, I certainly feel, you know, we always trying to kind of help that. You know, we, we have piggy days and we, we go off and, you know, there's, there's a vegan Dorito that we have. So me and my wife, Helen, you know, we, we go and slam that one. I think it's a sweet chili. And that we, we love that. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's all these chemicals and all that doesn't taste great, but, but we don't have it every day. You know, it's a treat. And I think that's the... The big problem with, with with fast food and diet and stuff like that, and people can't be bothered. That's the other thing; they really can't be bothered to do that until you know, until there's like real bad health problems, and then and even then they they, they try and think, okay, it will cure me, you know, as opposed to do something beforehand so you don't have to end up on a slab in a, in a doctor's you know surgery. Thank you, Phil. You know, I. I earlier in our earlier segment you mentioned that you're you know a conservative but not in the classical sense as we know in america about what a conservative is and you're also and and i I know that uh you are a follower of uh professor noam chomsky you know the great the great linguist uh so my question my question to you sir if you identify as a conservative do you also identify as uh as an anarchist you do you identify with that type of political ideology Absolutely, but you know, again, it's semantics. I think, you know, most people, I, I saw a, a fascinating uh, interview with Ralph Nader, uh, and he got extreme Democrats. I, I know, and most Democrats, Dem- Democrat party now is, is, is pretty much a, a right-wing thing. The, the way that, you know, if you looked at the policies, you, know, you won't doubt, oh, okay, this is a, a right-wing party. And obviously the Republican thing is even more to the right of that. But if you actually got real... Democratic people, real Democrats, real Republicans, put them in a room, they would agree on pretty much 80% of the stuff that you put to them. And that was the interesting, that was what Ralph Nader said. And you know what I was saying earlier about semantics? Uh, it's so easy because we, we so, we're so readily available to join a club that we shut out any of, of our own opinion uh, that, that all of a sudden we just agree with what our club leader tells us what it's supposed to be and we just follow through. Um, the great thing about Chomsky, I've actually pretty much read every every book he's ever had, except for the linguistic ones, obviously, but the, the political ones. And I, I, I just think it was, um, for me, as an alternative, uh, I saw him get thrown off a TV station pretty much <laughs> when I was trying to fight. The 9-11 thing happened and I was, I was going, well, okay, so why did, you know, 15 Saudi Arabians you know, invade, you know, get get a plane and, and crash it into an American, you know, iconic center and kill all these people. That, that, that was baffling to me. So I tried to find out, and the only answer I got on, on regular TV, you know, the one that that we're actually force-fed, 
you know, whether it's the BNN or Fox or whatever you want to watch, was the same thing. I hate it for freedom. No one said anything. So I, I researched it. Uh, I saw Chomsky get thrown off, and I that was the increment that I, I made me buy every one of these books because I thought, wow, these, I want to hear what he has to say because no one's letting him speak. And so that I, I actually put that down to that that event, you know, uh, activating my intellect. So I, before that, I was just like everyone else. I just go along with oh, and it was a ho hum and agreed with whatever and. That that incident right there uh, just just changed everything for me, and I I, I wanted um, I didn't want to be like in the Matrix where you, where they have the blue pill, I you know I wanted the the, the red pill, and actually I wanted to know what was going on, and, and I wasn't able to get that with mainstream media or, or newspapers, you know. And when you go back, you know, Rupert Murdoch has obviously you know who owns a lot of the the, the media and stuff like that has a. Uh, Interest, business interest in it. So you, you you put that into it. But aside from that, you know what what Chomsky was saying, and I'd heard of him before. You know, a friend of mine in, in Ireland had, had mentioned him years years ago, and I'd heard the name. That's why I was so interested in hearing him say that. And uh, it just made sense. I think that you know people don't think for themselves. They're they're, they're given these. You, you know, I, it's a it's a bit like um, multiple choice. I always found it strange when I came to the states. Actually, even the driving test it was multiple choice it was like you know it didn't force you to think it actually just forced you to kick a butt and that whole multiple choice thing is very dangerous you know it, like I said it takes you away from that but Chomsky made me think and then obviously you know I, I read other books you know by by people that you know the, the, the Howard Zinn thing you know you know, uh, the history of the people's history of the United States and to some other fascinating book John Pills it was some, it was some great stuff there just an alternative I, I watch everything I look at everything and make my own decisions based on that so you know I, that, that's like you know I advise everyone to do that because they don't they just uh, they, they learn what they they get it from someone else and they carry on it's a bit like ter- terrorism or anything anything negative it's learned from someone else they believe it and then they carry it on without actually thinking about it without you know, questioning it or, or anything else. And I, you know, I'm always questioning everything. And it's and it's great. And like I said, you know, with the Matrix, you know, give, give me the red pill and uh, blow it out. Not now. <laughs> you know, so what we're talking about, Professor Chomsky, my favorite book of his is uh, Manufacturing Consent, The Political Economy of Mass Media, which was published in 1988. Right. To me, that's, that's the quintessential Chomsky book. If anybody listening to this conversation would like to read a book I, that would be the book that i would recommend you know it it talks about how uh supportive uh propaganda systems uh rely on market forces and internalized assumptions and self-censorship people are always censoring themselves um phil you know you mentioned how mr Dur- professor chomsky was thrown off of the air for talking about 9-11 do you have any thoughts on that or are you uh I'll, I'll let you know right now that I believe that 9-11 didn't happen the way that the United States government said that it did. There are pages and pages that have not been published that members of Congress say exist, but they can't tell us what are in the pages. Do, do you have any thoughts on that, sir? Um, th- there's so much stuff with any kind of political international incident that, um, that we don't know about. But what the, the main thing to me... Uh, when I saw Chomsky get shut down, I knew that there was something up. I knew that there was something wrong, and I wasn't being told the truth. So whatever that was, and, you know, with, with all the conspiracy theories, 
you know, forgive them for that. I don't really know. I just knew that something was not right and we were being too. And I, I think on one way or another, and I think that this, this, this genius was up there, was prepared to, to give his opinion on it, wasn't allowed to do that. And that, to me, said it all. So that's, that's why I became such an avid reader of his, because I wanted to know what he had to say. And, and I never, never got a chance. Well, I did, because I, he, he actually had the book 9-11 out there. And there was, there was so many different, uh, uh, and it's a tiny little book. It's almost like a pamphlet. But um, it, it had so many different uh, things in there, you know, like the, the bombing of a, a, a hospital in Sudan and all, all of this stuff that, that was, like, relevant to, to, the, to the whole thing. And, and you know, the, the, they knew about it. Like, like with anything else, you know, there's so many kind of, it's such a, a tangled little web. But um, when you when you started uncovering things and you, you started seeing other things, that then other things started making sense. And and that that to me is uh, you, you know when, like when you you know have you, I don't know if you ever read um, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. I'm sure you did. John Perkins' book. Um, you, you go, oh okay, well that then that makes sense. That that would explain why these things happen. And like I said, you know, I'd rather know. And not no, I'd, I'd rather have a, um, a informed opinion of my own, you know, that, that you can actually debate and talk about based on something you've actually discovered yourself, as opposed to what someone's just told you and that you've heard on a on a very, uh, you know, a, a TV station where, where they're not allowed to, to go go very deep. You know, we, we all know that. You know, we all know that it's the the, the, the news in general is like certainly in the morning it's more to do with entertainment than, than actual the, getting the news so you have to get the news where, where you can you have to kind of you know search for it unfortunately Phil you know you have impeccable timing sir I'd love to sit here and have this conversation with you the rest of my life I, I'd, uh, you know I'd just be honored and elated and so you know so grateful if you'd come back and continue this conversation with me my producer's telling me I, that we're out of time you know uh, uh, it, it's been it's just I been would a, love to, absolutely it's been a great honor of my life sir you know it, it truly has um you know, my name's luke el giovanni this is renegade talk radio i'm the editor-in-chief of ruthless dash politics we survive bush will survive obama columnist for anti-media criminal reporter national crime reporter for examiner.com one of the biggest websites in america and also a political reporter uh mr colin thank you so very very much for your insight for your graciousness you know, thank you sir so much oh absolute pleasure thank you so much and yeah let's do this again I, like i said you know it's, uh, I, I know more every day because i i kind of research and, and just on a on a side note you know i i've met people you know I've been fortunate and blessed enough because of traveling and being in a band um, to, to have met some really interesting people, you know, that, that I would never have met had I just stayed, you know, in England or something. I, the, the, the horizons have been so broad and, you know, everything from, from the Queen of England, a, a slight conversation with her to, you know, a guy that happened to be an arms dealer and, you know, just different people, sports stars, celebrities, non-celebrities, you know, uh, this, this lady called Immaculate, who was a uh, her, her family was slaughtered in, in Rwanda. You know, she um, she she was actually went to she hid in a, a bathroom with seven other women for ninety days, 
while they, they were outside drawing trying to find us. So, I, you know, I've met these amazing people and, and that has an effect. You know, you, you talk to someone, like all those people I just mentioned, Charlotte Gerson, and uh, it has an effect. And then, like I said, you, you, you have a, a better knowledge of, of the world you live in um, based on, on the, the experience you, you just had. So that continues to grow and I'm, I'm just really blessed and fortunate to have that. And like I said, I'm open-minded. You know, I'll, I'll talk to someone even if I totally disagree with them politically and, and, and stuff. Um, I, I, I just think that's the, that's the grown-up big way to be. I think the, the minute you shut it down and go, no, that, that means you're narrow-minded and, and you have no growth. I think that they just welcome everything. You talk to everyone in the set. You show everyone the same respect. Uh, and you do that. And, you, and you, like I said, you come out, you're just like on this path to... You know, to more experience and, and uh, you're going somewhere else with it. so I, I just yeah if one stops I'd, I'd love to, I can't wait to our next conversation well thank you very much this is a great Phil Collin he's on tour right now with Def Leppard Sticks and Tesla they're playing at Sioux Falls Arena in Sioux Falls South Dakota today and Monday they're playing at Oklahoma City Oklahoma at the Chesapeake Energy Arena my name's Luke El Giovanni this is Renegade Talk Radio thank you cheers thanks